My guess is that most of you have heard of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, but I bet some of you have never heard of Haggai. He's a minor prophet. He's less than two pages in my Bible, but he came to the forefront for me when I was writing Advent meditations for the church that I attended in Vermont 12 years ago. I used the daily office as my daily office readings as my prompt for each day's writing, and I was struck as I meditated on Haggai by his charge to start rebuilding the temple. And the verse that was in my translation that came up over and over again was, begin the work for I am with you. My spirit abides among you, do not fear. And so for the people of Trinity Church Rutland that year, I said, there's a lot of rebuilding to do. There, there are broke, there's brokenness everywhere. There's broken families, broken prison system, broken healthcare system, and so forth. Well, here we are again with Haggai, charging the people of God to rebuild. In 586 BCE, Babylon finally had enough of Judah's not cooperating. They had already exiled one batch of Jews, but the people who remained in the land rebelled again, and so they came back and did the job really well this time, and they destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and took a second batch of exiles to Babylon. The temple was rubble, and Nebuchadnezzar took all of the silver, gold, and brass uh, vessels that were in the temple, to his own treasury in Babylon. Only the very poorest and least skilled of the Jews were allowed to remain in the land. And the Jews who went to Babylon, the exiles, boy, did they not like Babylon. And in case you've never read all the verses in Psalm 137, and we never read the last two in Sunday worship ever, It starts off, by the waters of Babylon, we sat down and wept when we remembered you, O Zion. As for our harps, we hung them up on the trees in the midst of that land. For those who led us away captive asked us for a song, and our oppressors called for mirth. Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song upon an alien soil? And it goes down in the eighth verses. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy the one who pays you back for what you have done to us. Happy shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks. We don't say that during Sunday worship. (laughs) That's how they felt. Okay, in Ezra and Nehemiah, you can read more historical accounts about the Jews returning to the land, because they did. It was about 70 years later, but they did. Babylon was defeated by the Persians, and Cyrus began the repatriation of Jews to to Judah, and then Darius continued it. It was not, if you read Ezra and and Nehemiah, it was not a beautiful, lovely story of one spiritual success after another. Oh no, it was hard, hard work. And like life, there were successes and there were failures. 
In Ezra and Nehemiah, there were people who were Jews who were optimistic and those who were sure their efforts to rebuild would fail. There were brave people and there were people who were fearful of the opposition and wanted to quit the work. There were people who longed for a new temple, no matter how humble it was, and there were those who wailed over the loss of the magnificent temple that Solomon had built and that had been destroyed. Those people longed for the good old days. But as we all learn, eventually, every one of us, there is never, ever a return to exactly the way things were before. And here today we have Haggai encouraging the people to begin the work of rebuilding that beautiful temple that had been destroyed. Begin the work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. My spirit abides among you. Do not fear. Think about those words. The returning Jews had every reason to see their work as impossible. They no longer had a well-oiled society in place. They were discouraged, bedraggled people returning from exile to a devastated land and a temple that was a pile of rubble. But Haggai wrote, Begin the work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. My spirit abides among you. Do not fear. One of the things that makes scriptures come alive for us today, thousands of years later, is because the words can apply to us in a different situation. Those words can apply to Christians everywhere. It can apply to us. It can apply to the community of all saints. We certainly are not bedraggled refugees, returning to a home that was destroyed. But we are a people who are struggling right now. If you are a visitor, I will tell you that in March, our rector was removed abruptly. He was a smart, lively, fun, energetic man who filled us with optimism with all of his energy and he led all saints for 15 years he was loved by nearly everyone and then poof he disappeared and because of the circumstances there was no closure no way to say goodbye no way to say thank you for six long months there was no rector there was just a bewildered Vestry struggling to do the best they could to lead the congregation. At that time, the diocese was also struggling with a lack of personnel. There was no bishop over there for us. Bishop Ryan had not yet been ordained. Bishop Andy's mother had died. His canon to the ordinary had been elected bishop, so he was without a canon to the ordinary. And so the help we expected to get from the diocese really didn't come very well. And it was hard. It was really, really hard. It seemed like such a cruel blow that we might never recover. But those words that Haggai spoke to the people of Judah can be our words too. Begin the work. For I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. 
My spirit abides among you. Do not fear. And so we kept on, one step after the other, not all smooth, but walking as best we could in faith. When Lane Hensley, our interim rector, arrived on September 1st, we breathed a little bit more easily. And I don't know about you, but I breathed a lot more easily. (laughs) And some of us were then, because we were breathing more easily, were better able to see the evidence of God's work among us, God's presence among us. The garden around the church was being supported in ways it had not been. Chicago Nichols had worked hard for two years, weeding, trimming, planting, until her sudden death in August. At first she worked alone, and then she worked with Rudy. But now there is a whole guild working in the garden. And you might have noticed if you've walked around how amazing it looks, how much work has been done. And if you want to contribute to beautifying the garden, come next Sunday after church, bring a trowel. The blue sheet doesn't say that, but bring a trowel, you know, one of those little hand shovels pointed, so that you can help plant a hundred daffodil bulbs. It will be beautiful come spring. And stay, stay a while as we remember Chicago Nichols and the beauty she gave to this church, working on that garden day after day after day. And all of her work inspired the birth, or maybe it's the rebirth, I don't know, of the St. Francis Garden Guild. Another sure sign of God's presence among us is the flourishing, the flourishing of the ministries of all saints. On Fridays from noon until six o'clock, this place, well, not this place, but the parish hall, is alive with cooks and flower arrangers and servers and dishwashers who put on a meal for up to 150 people. Can you imagine? That keeps on going every Friday. Loaves and Fishes continues to serve breakfast, morning prayer, listening hearts, and assistance to people on Tuesday mornings. Grace Partners continue to reach out to those who need a listening ear and a listening heart. The children continue to be formed by our dedicated teachers, and the adults continue to have the choice of a discussion group about the Bible readings for that Sunday or the adult forum. And evidence of God's presence is visible in our interim rector, Lane Hensley, who is boldly trying new ways of worship. If you were here on October 6th, you saw dogs on leashes in the worship service. Not outside on the lawn after the worship service, but in the worship service. And if you were here, you know that it went very, very well, with dog owners and non-dog owners helping each other get up the aisle and get to the right stations, with UT students offering to hold a leash while someone received communion. And they even had hand sanitizers so that those who had held their dog for a blessing 
could wash their hands before they received the bread. And holy smoke, have you heard our choir? Last Sunday was a beautiful offering of a choral mass, Foray's Requiem, for All Saints Sunday. But there's beautiful, exquisite music every single Sunday here because of our choir and our organist and music director, Gregory. There's also Evensong on the last Sunday of the month at 4 o'clock, another beautiful offering that our choir gives us. The cloud of witnesses doing ministry in this place goes on and on, and I will forget most of them, but you can look in the blue sheet. There are daughters of the king. There are junior daughters of the king. There's Micah 6. There's Meals on Wheels. And just look in the blue sheet to see what else is being offered. The flourishing and not the stopping of ministries here is visible evidence that God is with us, that God abides among us, and that we need not be afraid of the future. And perhaps the biggest but the least visible probably to you evidence that God's presence is with us is in the finances. When Bishop Andy came in March to tell the vestry what was going on and what would happen, he warned the vestry, finances always diminish when a rector leaves for whatever reason, whether they retire or get another job, expect finances to go down. And we were approaching summer when I knew from experience that finances always go down no matter what, as people go on vacation and they don't bring their offerings. And so I went to the June Finance Committee meeting with fear in my heart. And after it was over, because I can't understand those sheets, I'm not very good at understanding financial statements, I just asked Anita, so Anita, how is the giving? And I gritted my teeth and I made my shoulders small and I waited for the blow. And she said, oh, it's great. Pledges have gone up. Can you believe? Can you believe that? What a tremendous evidence that God is among you. And then there is our children and youth director and that whole process in the search committee as they decided they didn't want a half-time youth minister. They prayerfully decided they wanted a full-time youth minister, that they thought the children and the families in this church were worth that. And then they interviewed Don Carlson, and I did too, along with the children's chaplains. And it was so clear, so clear to me, that this was not just a job for him, this was a calling, and I didn't think he would come. On a Tuesday morning on my day off, I was sitting on the porch watching the birds at the feeder and drinking coffee when PGG called me up. Cynthia, she said, he accepted our offer. And I started to cry because as much as I think I'm a faithful woman, I was a little bit afraid that God had forgotten about all saints. And maybe 
Sometime during this time, you had too. Maybe you had wondered. But God did not forget us. Not at all. And now we are all of us, every single one of us, called to begin the work of rebuilding the physical plant, which needs a lot of TLC, and the community of all saints. We are called to rebuild a community that was torn and broken. Can we do it? Thank you. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, like straight from the prayer book, we can with God's help. Will it be exactly the same? No. Nothing is ever exactly the same. Will it be as good as it was before? I will let you decide after I tell you a little story. In the late 1990s, I went to a retreat at Camp Capers in the Diocese of Texas because I was in the Diocese of Texas, I'm sorry, the Diocese of West Texas because that's where I lived. And every retreat they had a table of books offered by Viva Books and I bought one It was a beautiful book. It was a trade book, and the cover was beautiful. It had art on it, and it was by a potter from Berkeley, California. And unlike most of the books I buy, I read it as soon as I got home. And guess what? It was awful. (laughs) The cover was about the best part of the book. But there was one story in that book, one story that I have never forgotten that meant a great deal to me when I read it. This potter woman went to a museum where she saw behind glass a turquoise Japanese bowl, an ancient bowl that was broken and repaired, but not with glue. It was repaired with silver. And she was in awe when she saw that this bowl, which could have been tossed out, had been repaired and was now of more value and of greater beauty than it had been before it was broken. I didn't know anything except that one incident. I didn't know that this was a practice, but this week, and if I didn't believe in the Holy Spirit, I would now, This week, in the mail, I got a note with this article from a woman that I met in the parking lot a couple of years ago. It's Kentsugi. And she said, this was in the fall 2019, Magnolia Journal. It tells about just that practice of taking something that is broken and repairing it with gold or silver. When you get home today, I hope that you will either Google the word kintsugi, K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I, or you may also go to YouTube and do a search for a a video that's called Peter Mayer, M-A-Y-E-R, Peter Mayer, Japanese Bowl. It's only about three and a half minutes long. And then, 
after you have looked at what beautiful things can come out of brokenness, I leave you with this question. Is it possible that All Saints Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas, like the bowl that was broken and repaired with silver, can be more beautiful and of more value to the neighborhood, to the city of Austin, because of the brokenness. Begin the work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. My spirit abides among you. Do not fear.